0: You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 87 of the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell, and this episode of the podcast is interesting for a couple of reasons. Firstly, we're talking about workplace flexibility. It's one of the buzzwords of our time, and a conversation we just have to have. Our lives are changing, they're full, and we live in a time where the pressures and expectations are different from the era in which the nine-to-five at-your-desk expectations became ingrained in our consciousness. If rigid workplace hours and presence were ever relevant, they're certainly not relevant now. Our lives and society demand a change. Technology and other powerful factors enable it. And it's our role as leaders to drive this as an issue. The second reason this conversation is especially interesting, to me at least, is that I am, for the first time in the podcast, speaking with my wife, Sally Rayner. Sally is a general manager in a large resource company. She has a global role, which spreads her attention to multiple time zones. She also happens to be the mother of three wonderful children. Sally's taken up the cause of workplace flexibility She sees herself as a champion, not an expert, and is doing everything she can to start and perpetuate this conversation that we simply have to have. Sally and I were invited to a recent event hosted by Wimmark, Women in Mining and Resources Queensland, where we spoke to a live audience. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sally Rayner. Thanks, Jules. So as Jules pointed out, this is the, the fifth that we've done with Wimmark and it's been a fantastic experience for me. I know that Winmark appreciate it and the members have been very positive, but I've really enjoyed it as well. The, the quality of the guests that it brings onto my podcast is really high. I've, I've had a great time with it. This will be episode number 87 of the Team Guru podcast. Did you ever think that you would get onto my podcast, no. my dear wife?
2: <laughs>
3: You need to Sorry, talk into the microphone. Not. So you're not experienced. <laughs>
1: so, the first question that everyone is wondering, Sally Rayner, is why is your name Sally Rayner and not <laughs> Sally Frizzell? I know that that's what you were wondering, isn't that? Why is that?
3: Is this a serious it's question? It's a serious <laughs> okay. question. This hasn't been for the pre- record. So. <laughs> well, a lot of uh, women obviously face this. And for me, it was around the fact, I guess, we met later in life and had already had a career for a number of years. And so I didn't want to sort of go back to square one and say I was Sally Frizzell, which I have in all other aspects of my life, banking, home loans, all that sort of thing, not Facebook, not LinkedIn. But it's really because I didn't want to have to reintroduce myself professionally as Sally Frizzell.
1: So the deal was when we got married that she would change her name to Sally Frizzell if I wore a wedding ring. And uh, so she has sort of changed her name. So I sort of wear a wedding ring every now and (laughs) then. All right. So we won't talk about our marriage the whole time. That would get boring really quickly. So Sal, flexible work. I know that the room is, is full. I know there were a bunch of people on the wait list on Eventbrite for this event. It was something that sparked a lot of interest as soon as we announced we were going to talk about it. Why is that? Why is it such an interesting topic for people?
3: For me, I think it's around the fact that there's so many things that people do now, and I'm not suggesting back in our parents' generation they weren't doing as much, but perhaps they weren't. So I think that you know a lot of us are working in our careers, obviously. We have families or we have spiritual pursuits or sporting pursuits, whatever it might be. And I think most of us have worked out that if we're doing the things that we love and that we're passionate about, and if that's, on the Winmark committee or you're doing something not for profit or whatever it might be and you're managing your career, it's actually quite hard to do all those things really well unless you're a crazy person. So I think that flexible work is that opportunity to think about things just a bit differently. How can you do the things that you want to do and be fulfilled? And then I think that directly correlates to being a great worker and being really productive. So I think that's why a lot of people are talking about it. Is it, is it really resonates with most people. So let's define it at the beginning. What it's, it's a
1: pretty new term. What is flexible work? What do we mean when we talk flexible work? Is it working home on a Wednesday? Is that flexible work?
3: Well, it could be to some people. I mean, I think it just means so many different things to different people. So for some people, it's working from home one day a week. For some people, it's it's working really different hours. You know, it might be working nights or it's working mornings or it might be working 14 hours one day and two hours the next. I think it's it's really quite individually based and that's what I like about it is it's actually about the individual. I know um, I had a look at a couple of different company policies just out of interest and some of them are, are really quite – strong and a little bit prescriptive in terms of this is what you have to do. But most of them, and particularly the more recent ones, because I think there's a lot of correlation between flexible work and diversity inclusion, are much more about it's the individual delivering good, great performance and the business is actually performing better as a result.
1: All right. So I'll play devil's advocate for a minute. The unemployment rate in Australia right now is, what do you reckon it is? 5.7%. 5.7%. So that's the official unemployment rate. We know that often unemployment rates hide different types of underemployment or people who have given up looking for work. So unemployment's pretty high. And when we in this flexib- this pursuit of flexible work are asking for something extra from our employee while there are so many people looking for a job, why should they play ball? Why should they make work time just that bit more complicated. Sally works. Sally's here in the office Monday and Thursday, but she's not here Wednesday. Jim comes in after 10, so you can't have meetings with Jim before 10. Why would an employee, employer do that to the organization if they have so many people looking for a job?
3: And I think that's a lot of more traditional workplaces certainly think that way. I currently work in an organization where you know, some leaders that I work with still think that way. I think it's to do with they might just not get it yet. I think as long as you're transparent and you're consistent in what you do, I think it's unfair to the employer if you chop and change each week. You know, this week I'm doing Monday from home, next week it's Wednesday, the following week I'm going to work the weekend. I mean, I think that doesn't help anyone. You need to have that full transparency with teams to be effective for people to be high performing. But I think the main reason why I think employees must do this or employers must do this and employees, you know, are to embrace it. It's because you're going to have a more fulfilled employee. You're going to be happier. I think healthier. I think there's quite a big connection here to health and safety and mental wellness as well. And I think it's just the right thing to do. You know, similar to diversity inclusion, there's a reason why we've come so far in that particular conversation is it's just the right thing to do. And for me, flexible work is the same, but you do need boundaries. I mean, you can't just have it the employee's way. There needs to be that connection back to the employer and make sure you've got that win-win situation.
1: Of course, I've always been a simpleton devil's advocate before. I, I believe very much in it. And the fact that there are so many people looking for work isn't in anywhere near a good excuse for employers not to look at this. And, and we do know, we understand from personal experience, anecdotally, and we know from research and statistics that People who have the flexibility to pursue the things outside of work that make them happy, people who have less pressure on them because of family commitments clashing with work commitments are more fulfilled and relaxed and less anxious, and therefore obviously better performers at work so I 'm sold on the concept of flexible work I want to I, I didn't realize that I was going to ask three difficult questions in a row be devil's advocate, horrible person three times in a row. this is the last one. I want to point out that you are a champion of this cause you're passionate about this cause but before we had our first child in 2013 i never heard you utter the words flexible work it's almost as this as if you've picked up on this because it suits you now
3: yep that's very true and for some people in the audience who have worked with me before there is definitely and you know i'm i'm a little bit i would say ashamed of this but i have evolved thank goodness there's the pre-children's Sally and then there's a post-children's Sally. But I do want to point out flexible work is not just about parents. I want to make that really clear. But it's absolutely true and that's hard. You know, that's hard because I've got to accept that I think I was actually quite a poor leader because I didn't connect. And, and it also wasn't something we talked about. So the, the group I was in at that time, which was the projects group, to be honest, was a lot of people working really hard all the time. We're talking 12-hour days, you know, 4 a.m. starts on a Monday, getting home at 9 p.m. on a Friday. It was that sort of project's schedule where it was really, really tough. And now in hindsight, I think, oh, God, why didn't I actually say something about that? But it's almost like I was caught up in that bubble. And when I didn't have kids, it just, I guess, you're not looking out for who needs you. You're just looking out for yourself, which is really selfish and that's hard to say, but that's exactly how it was. So for me, and and flexible work is one thing, but in a lot of ways, I think you know I've changed a lot because of children, thank goodness. So that's shone shone a light on it for me personally. And as I said, it's not all about being a parent, but that's what matters to me most is that I'm a present parent. I'm there with my kids. And so that's sort of what brought it to the fore for me.
1: So before you had our first child, you, you were a general manager with Rio Tinto and, and before that a senior manager and a manager leading lots of people. So it's a case of you are guilty of, as are so many people are guilty of, working with people who need flexibility in their life, but because it had never hit you and you never needed it because, as, and I've heard you say before, you happen to do stuff outside of work that suited work hours. You say we used to do triathlon. Training at 5 in the morning, training at 6.15 at night. That suited work. So she could go to work at 7.30, be at a desk after going for a ride in the morning, and it was—it worked for her, it worked for you. But, you know, but there are people around you in teams that you led, and you weren't only ever working in projects. There were other stuff that you were doing. There were people around you, people that you led who needed this in, this, in their life, and you just never saw that. And it's, it's tempting to be really critical of that especially given I'm sitting here in front of other people and I've got a microphone in my hand, can be really critical of that. But the truth is it takes a tremendous amount of empathy to be able to see that, to really feel the needs of other people, not having experienced it yourself. So that's a really important part of this conversation.
3: And I know that that's something that I have changed a lot as a person and as a leader. I now like to think, that I'm an empathetic leader which I definitely wasn't before so that's definitely a, a big change and of course you know I don't want this to sound like an excuse but it is a fact flexible work is now talked about regularly whereas I think back then just like diversity and inclusion you know five years ago it just wasn't it certainly wasn't the buzzword it was something that might have been mentioned now and then so it's got a lot more focus on it now but everything you say is absolutely correct.
1: So you mentioned before, we were talking about what is flexibility and you said it's not just about helping parents. It's not just about working from home a couple of days a week. What else can it be?
3: I think it's providing an opportunity for you to be your true self. You're able to do those things that are important to you. And I think that results in a more productive employee. You know, I think about, you know, when people sort of say, oh, well, how's your flexible work experience been? I know that my time since working flexibly, which is working from home, you know, a few days a week, I've been more productive in that time in the past few years than I have for my entire career, which is about 20 years. So I know that it works for me. Now, I'm not saying that my situation is at all relevant to anyone else. It's, It's a very individual thing. But for me personally, the goal or the prize at the end is seeing my kids rather than stuck in commuter traffic for two hours a day, and so you just work harder, you work better, you're more effective. So,
1: we're going to talk about sales specific experience with p- the pursuit of flexibility in her workplace, but just on that that commute. And I know it's not about working from home and avoiding the commute, but that is such a huge part of it. If the aliens were come were to come tomorrow, wouldn't the commute be one of the things they just shake their head at and say, "What are you guys doing? The fact that." Between eight and nine, every morning, most of Brisbane tries to come here into this little patch of turf at the same time every day. And then at about the same time every day, we all leave this same patch of turf. And we know over and over again from research across all sorts of different types of countries, morning commute or commute to work is one of the biggest bugbears in people's life. It's one of the biggest frustrations, something they dread the most, something that causes them the most pain. Yet, we continue to do it to ourselves. It just doesn't make any sense. On the rare occasion that I come into the city after nine in the morning, have you ever come into the city after nine in the morning recently? It's a breeze. You fly <laughs> straight in. It's really quite lovely. Come in between 7.30 and 8.30 or 7.30 and nine in the morning, it's hell. It's a battle. And, and if you let it, it can affect the mood of your day. Yet here we are, still talking about this as if it's the beginning of an issue, as if we should be trying to get a movement going. It's a no brainer. It's, it's the kind of thing that should just be done. All right. What was my next real question? All right. Working from home. There is an elephant in the room when you ask to work from home. And I think we've talked about it before. I think it's a historic thing. It's a legacy issue from when people didn't do it very often. People joke about it. There is this myth about working from home, you know, and we even do the air quotes. Oh, you're working from home today. It's, again, it's really incredible. even we in a professional setting where people care about their work, they have lots of qualifications to do their work, they're often well paid to do their work, they essentially, they all the indicators are that they care about their work, yet if they're working from home today, we all have a little giggle and there's this myth that you've got to bust. I'm a leadership consultant. And from time to time, if I'm working for a client and I work from home and I'm charging them for the day, I feel this enormous pressure. I should be immune from that. I should know better, but I don't. I feel this enormous pressure when I'm working from home. I have these things, I don't know if you do this, where I have to be not only get lots done that day, I've got to look like I'm getting lots done that day. And I do things just so people see that I'm active, you know, whether it's sending emails or making phone calls at the right time. So people know I'm I'm actually working. I said I was and I am. It's a ridiculous source of pressure. In fact, if I was to ever employ me, I would want me to work from home because I work so much harder from home than anywhere else because I feel this tremendous pressure. What is it about this myth to do with working from home?
3: Yeah, well, I think it's around the fact that there's still quite a few leaders out there that don't trust that you're doing the right thing. So people feel, I must be, as you say, on show. I must do harder work. I must be more efficient. I must organize all these calls, et cetera. But I think that's a lot to do with you and your mindset. And I think that if you're not working from home or whatever your flexible work arrangement is, if you're not doing it consistently, it's like anything in life, it's hard to get good at it. So if you're only working from home, you know, once a month or something, you're going to, each time you have that work from home experience, you're going to think, oh, this is really hard. I'm under pressure. I need to do th- these things. Whereas if it's a regular part of your life, and it's just like the old-fashioned roster, right, FIFO, there's certain days that you do, and so you're really comfortable in your skin because everyone knows on those days, you know, Jim or Mary are at home, they're working, and we know that's the hours that we can contact them. So I think that's the key is to have that consistency. But definitely, I mean, I saw people in the audience sort of uh, smiling and having a bit of a chuckle to themselves. I think it's still something that we're working on. Because a lot of leaders are still uncomfortable with their employees working from home, which I, I think, again, is to do with them more so than the person who's actually working from home.
1: Last time I did it, it was only a few weeks ago. I said to myself, I had this internal log, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. I just felt so much pressure for the day. So this was a situation. Sal was busy. We've got three kids. We have a baby and toddler and a big boy. And, and the big boy needed to be picked up from kindy. And so I'd been working from home, working my butt off all day long. And the baby was still asleep. And so one of us had to go and get the big boy from kindy. And I went and got him. It's about three minutes from our house. I picked him up. It took about 12 minutes in total. And I was just stressed out of my mind the whole time, thinking, I am not working right now. It's ridiculous. And I said to myself, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to work from home anymore because I just didn't enjoy it. But I think you're right. To be really clear about when I'm working, And if I was to do it more regularly, that would put me at ease a little bit and it would put my colleagues at ease if if they're not at ease at the moment, which I I have no evidence of. It's pressure I put on myself. If I was to do it regularly, it would put everyone at ease and it would just create this consistent expectation and understanding that that's what's being done. And that's what I don't do.
0: Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization.
1: So a few months ago, in this very room, I spoke with Tim Crossley. Were any of you guys here for Tim Crossley? So Tim, it was a great interview and I really enjoyed that chat. But there was a point towards the end where Tim dropped what felt like an absolute clangor in this room where he, I asked him, uh, someone asked him about flexible work and he just straight out wiped it as a concept, almost like I don't believe in it. And he, he rationalized it and justified it, but it felt as though it didn't belong in our time. I don't want to put words in Tim's mouth and I, I don't want to guess at what he would say here, but what is it about Tim's industry and Tim's generation that makes them so dead against the concept of flexible work that he would wipe it off as an issue out of hand.
3: I can't speak for him, but, you know, I I was in that audience and to me it just seemed as if he didn't have an open mind to it. I think you've got to have the, even if you haven't done it yourself, I think it's important that you have an approach to at least be open to the concept. And fair enough, I mean, not dissimilar to, you know, feeling somewhat embarrassed about my prior leadership style. Everyone grows, everyone evolves, you know, no one's perfect. But I think the difference is if people are asking you those questions and they're putting it in front of you, you need to at least do some research, ask some questions and, you know, if, if you're a leader, ask your team members. You know, what, what do you think about this? Actually get involved in the conversation and also, you know, as I mentioned before, flexibility has been talked about not as – Strongly as diversity and inclusion, but it's been around for a while now. It's not as if this is a new concept, you know, because Tim's conversation was earlier this year. It's not like something that we asked him five years ago and it would have been, you know, leading practice. It's been around for a while. So I think it's that ability to be open minded and also to trust. I know one of the things that Tim talked about was operations and projects. And I, I totally get that. You know, after working on sites, you've got visible leadership, you want present leaders, absolutely.
1: It's hard, hard to drive a truck from home.
3: That's right. But in, in terms of, and we're, we're still having the conversation now around this, don't automatically say, okay, if you're going to be at a coal mine and you're going to be a superintendent, you can't work from home. I mean, why? Why should we start with no? Shouldn't we start with yes and actually start on the positive, on the front foot, on the trusting side and work through that together rather than start with no? And I think that's sort of where Tim was at. He was just at the no. So I think it's just that open-mindedness and, and actually having some curiosity to find out how could I make this work.
1: So as an issue, we're very much at the point where we're still raising the awareness and changing minds of of leaders, senior or otherwise. And we're going to talk about your experience now and, and how you went about changing the mind of leaders in your organization. We'll hear about how you went about it, what you did, the success or not that you had. And then we'll finish off with some a couple of points of advice for things that we could all be doing about this issue, raising this issue and, and promoting it further. So tell us about your experience with flexible work. Talk to us about your organisation, about the way you started the conversation and the success or otherwise of that conversation.
3: Okay. So as we've already mentioned, it wasn't until I had my first son that I entertained the idea of, of doing flexible work. And fortunately, after having a uh, still do an amazing husband i I'd, I'd started a <laughs> a new role um, after having my first son, and it, it was a global role and it was a lot of travel and something i hadn't done before. Fortunately, after I came back after having a year off, Dave stepped in and uh, w- was looking after our son for that year. so I was very fortunate that i didn't have to worry about the care for our child for that period but when Dave was returning to work, it was that whole concept of, I I just don't want my kid in childcare five days a week. That's just not what I want for him. And I'm not judging people that do, it's it's a very personal decision. But it was at that point where I had a conversation with my leader. And I remember during the job interview, which was obviously prior to that, I had thought about asking the question. And I thought, oh no, I don't want to take myself out of the race. (laughs) I I don't want to... um,
1: you're going to ask the question during the interview.
3: I was. Just bear in mind, I had been on, uh, had a baby, and I did have baby brain for 10 months, but I, I quickly worked out that I shouldn't ask that during the interview. However, once I was successful in obtaining the role, it was something I mentioned on my first day. So, on, on my first day, starting in the role, which happened to be traveling on a, a plane with him,
1: leaving I, me at home to look after the child.
3: Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I mentioned to my leader, I said, look, it's really important to me that I'm able to work from home. And th- the main thing was around the logistics for all those men and women that have kids and, and practicalities like breastfeeding experience, uh, if, you know, for example, is how am I actually going to make this work? That was the biggest thing for me that I couldn't get my head around is how can I be a great parent, provide my child with everything that he needs and do my job well. I, I just couldn't get my head around that. So my solution, and I'd read the Rio Tinto flexible work policy front to back many, many times. And I thought, our policy is awesome. This is gonna be great. This is really gonna work. <laughs> and so I was quite confident. Then I went went to my leader and I said, you know, okay, this is what I'd like. I'd like to, and I thought I'll go in for surely the thing that's gonna be fine because it's the easiest possible. Work from home one day a week on a Wednesday when there's the least number of meetings, no one's really going to notice. I'll just set a good example and get it done. And uh, the answer was no. And I just remembered being absolutely gutted. I remember I just started crying, not in front of him, since at home, in front of Dave, crying. I, I was devastated. I couldn't believe it. I just thought this was just a sure thing. And I, I don't understand because I've written a business case. So I was really clear around why it's good for the business, why it's good for me, how it's going to work. I mean, it's a global role. 95% of stakeholders are not based in Brisbane. I didn't have to have be sitting in an office. I just didn't get it. And it was actually Dave's advice, which is, Sal, you just need to take stop. You just need to let it go. And this is his issue. This isn't your issue. You need to prove yourself and then go back. Go back when he's had time to see you perform. And so that was really hard, but he was absolutely right. So six months later, I went back and actually my leader came to me and he said, oh, you know, we had that flexible work conversation. He said, you can do that now, you know. Because things
1: have been going really well. Yeah, he said. There was objective runs on the board.
3: Yes. He said, you know, you've been performing well, you're doing better than what I expected. So I'm happy for you to do that. So. So that was a bit of like, okay, well, Dave was right and that worked out. But still, it, it still hurt that it was like a no first and it didn't sort of make a lot of sense to me. But taking on Dave's advice, which was, you know, you've got to help him understand. You've got to take him on this journey and and for him to learn. So that was sort of stage one. And then, Hang on, I
1: just want to stop you there because it's it's really, if I'm listening to this through your ears, I'm hearing someone who is senior in Rio Tinto has been a high performer, is very, you're feeling very confident in your position in the organisation. You've just started a new role, a global role. Rio Tinto thinks of you highly. They've invested in you heavily. You're in a pretty good position. You're in a position of strength to go asking for these things. Not everyone is in that kind of position.
3: Which is crazy. That, that, that's what's even worse about it is you're right. I and I am privileged that I, I went in and I was confident and I thought it was a sure thing. And I totally understand that that's going to be a much more challenging situation for a specialist or a operator or a superintendent who doesn't necessarily have they certainly have runs on the board, but it's a different thing. And, and Rio Tinto, you know, there is a large hierarchy. I mean, I know I've been out since I've had my third child, but. I'm assuming the hierarchy, it's changed, but it's still there. And so there is that, as you point out, I think it is more challenging for more junior roles, even if but I don't think
1: that's right. Even if you're a performer and you know you perform well, but you, you're replaceable as a performer, That you know, I, I'm imagining it would be really tempting to convince yourself, this is an issue I should pursue, but I'm in no position to pursue this. I'm not the person to do this.
3: When you just said that, I actually remembered my first thought. Which is, I don't think I want to work for this company anymore. I'd forgotten about that. So, and and that's one of the really sad things. So, if if someone like me, who, you know, I love that job, and I love working with the people I was working with, for something to have that much impact. I mean, imagine how many other people may have potentially left their jobs because of this type of situation. I mean, it's quite startling as as I think about it. So, I, I totally agree, and that's why I think we need to have that culture change. I mean, if you have a general manager struggling with the concept and asking the question, and I'm not saying that an operator that it's harder for them, but for some people it may be just to, as you said, you know, get a seat at the table to have that conversation.
1: All right. So what happened next? You said no. You worked six months, put some runs on the board, so much so that he came to you and said, "Hey, remember that conversation we had?" And I said, "No, let's talk about it again." What happened next?
3: And so then, child number two um, came along, and this time, I thought, okay, two kids. This is a different ball game. Like I, I, And at that point, the job just continued to intensify. You know, it wasn't getting easier. It was actually getting more challenging, but it was still rewarding. And so I put to my leader that I wanted to work three days a week from home. And the business case was, was really clear. And I'm not saying this is only relevant for global roles, but for me personally, working in multiple time zones, early morning late nights, Australia during the day, you know, why would I be getting up at five in the morning to go into work when I'm on the phone to my stakeholders? It just business-wise didn't make sense. And so that was essentially the case that I put to him, obviously, with performance and productivity and all those other things. And the answer was better, but it wasn't great. It was, well, how about two? How about You, you asked for three days. I asked for three you days. I asked to, to work from, from home, home three days. And the answer was two. And of course, I wasn't surprised because of my previous experience. Disappointed still. But this time, there was so much travel on my return to work after my having my second child. You know, I just said, I'm just gonna do three. So I just ended up doing three days a week from home anyway, because I was on the road so much. And I, I wasn't dishonest. He knew what I was doing. But I thought, you know what? I, he does trust me. He wants me in the team. I'm just actually going to nudge him along. And so that's what happened. And,
1: you know. Well, I actually remember specifically, it, you, he said no to, to three, but you can have two. But at a time when you were traveling a bit and having lots of late night calls. So it, it, it was, I won't come in tomorrow because I've got three late night calls this week. And he was fine. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Because it's a, a kind of a one off, a strange week. But it happened so many weeks in a row, it just became a pattern. And you were at work. You're at home working from home three days a week, and you just stayed that way. And it kind of never went. It was never spoken about, which again is not not cool. Because you 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 felt lucky. It was like a gift. You felt as though you were getting something you didn't deserve. So you kind of just didn't bring it up.
3: Yes, yeah, largely. And I think that's a challenge. I mean, it wasn't that I was being dishonest. He knew that you know the days I was working from home. That was always very clear. But it just goes to show it's it's a constant challenge with this particular leader who by the way is a fantastic leader I don't want anyone to take away that you know this is someone that's difficult to work for because he's, he's very respectful he's been a, a supporter of mine but it, it's as I said before when I was acknowledging my own personal faults and weaknesses there's some things that you need extra help to understand and I think for him it's still something that he struggles with despite what policy we have in Rio Tinto it's like anything it a leader needs to have the ability to believe in something and trust that the right thing is going to happen.
1: So what now? So, sales due to return to work in December after a twelve months off with our third child. How's that going to work?
3: Well, you think um, we'd
1: talk about this before now, but here's, <laughs> this is the place.
3: Well, interestingly, I, I had a conversation with my leader two weeks ago about return to work. So, and the comment actually was, you'll be back in the office five days a week, right? And so it, it's just that thing where I need to just go back in. You know, I've been out of, you know, face-to-face contact for, you know, seven months now. So it, it's it's just going again back on that journey. I guess it's, it's it's a little bit like, to me, health and safety. Like you can't just have one conversation and all of a sudden you've got a safe site. It's a constant conversation in this circumstance. And I'm going to have to, unfortunately, I think, prove myself again that this can work, go back, get the runs on the board, and then go back, hopefully, to a flexible working arrangement.
1: So are we at the stage with this as an issue, as a pursuit, as a cause, where it's up to people like you, it's up to people who have senior positions and are champions of flexibility to do the grunt work? Is that where we're at? Because- it's a new issue in, in lots of people's mind. The traditional, conservative, old-fashioned, whatever you like to call it, it's a it's a no. It's a big issue, and it's difficult for people who feel replaceable as employees. So, is it at, Are we at the point where it's just up to people like you to do it?
3: Well, I hope not. I think that would be quite sad. I mean, definitely, there's a role. <clears throat> excuse me, there's a role for leaders to play. But I think everyone's got a role to play, as you mentioned earlier. Some people might say it's, it's easier if you've got a, a platform to have a conversation, you know, if you're on a particular committee where these things are discussed, you've got a voice, you know, that that, that will be heard. But what I think is important is that everyone plays a role, you know, no matter what level you are in the organisation. And unfortunately, it's in this situation I'm explaining, it is a constant challenge. It's not like you, you've worked the hard yards once and then you're fine it's keep going back. It's, it's having that sort of relentless pursuit. But I know plenty of people and people in this room that I've had conversations with and others where it's, it's not always that difficult, obviously. You no, know, some people, you have that conversation, you demonstrate it works and then you just get on with it. So every example is, is quite different.
1: All right. We're going to ask you to give some practical advice, some steps we should all take. And, and by the way, steps that we should all take, whether we're craving flexibility in our, in our work life or not, steps that we should all take as people who kind of believe in this as a cause, whether you're someone who wants it or not. You could be someone who's happy Monday to Friday, nine to five, but for this to be to become like diversity and inclusion, it has to be an everything thing. So what are the top three things? What should we all be doing in our workplace to to further this?
3: For me, it's about starting the conversation and continuing it. It's you know, I mean, people are in this room and listening for a reason, there's something that's important to them, whether it's their child, it's surfing, it's being spiritual, whatever it might be, they've got their own business, there's so many different examples. You think about leaders like I've had, leaders like what I used to be, you you need people to step up and start the conversation and doesn't have to be an in-your-face. I think it's, you know, if you're having a coffee, you're in a lift well, whatever it might be, rather than think, oh, well, I mentioned something, just mention it. Because what's the worst thing that can happen? So I think talking about flexibility and continuing to talk about it, I think
1: that- Is it a case of talking about it as if it is a done deal and it's just a case of how long? It is already written that flexibility will become the norm and we're just getting there.
3: No, I I think it's more personal and it's, it's about stories. So, you know, if people have good stories where- Flexibility has worked well for them. you talk about that. And equally, if you've had bad stories, because that's how we learn as well, when we've had successes and failures. so talking about those stories, if you personally don't have anything to talk about, then listen, listen to what other people have asked them or what, what their journey has been. So I think that storytelling and getting that personalized account is is really key.
1: All right, so number one is talk about it more. Raise the profile of the issue.:
3: I think the second one is to start with trust. And put some pressure on on our leaders you know to have that visible leadership where why would you question someone why not start from a positive standpoint start with you know what absolutely you can have that working arrangement let's start with a positive start with trust assuming it'll work and assuming it will work because I mean why wouldn't it why would you have the mindset oh that's not going to work or You know, as you say in air quotes, oh, working from home, I don't like the idea of that. I think that's, again, just a cultural thing. So I think if we all have that responsibility for having a, you know, stepping up to start with trust, I think that will help to change the culture around flexible work.
1: All right. That's number two. What's number three? What's the last thing we should all be doing?
3: I've mentioned this a a little bit while you've been asking the questions, but I think there's really clear links between diversity, inclusion, health and safety and flexible work. So diversity and inclusion has just gone gangbusters, hasn't it? I mean, it's everyone's talking about it all the time. You know, Rio Tinto Yammer constantly. There's groups. Everyone's talking about things. LinkedIn, everywhere you look, people are talking about it. Jump on that because so that's, that's exactly what flexible work is. Flexible work is acknowledging that everyone's different. There's different ways of working and we embrace that. We embrace that you're a working parent. We embrace that you're passionate about whatever the sport is that you do, it's great that you're on a you know not-for-profit committee. We support that. So I think jumping on that is important because there is a direct link. And then the health and safety aspect. I mean, healthy, happy people and safe people are obviously great employees. So I think making those links, which in our industry, in the mining industry, is something that is already well accepted. I think if we make that clear link between flexibility and those concepts, I think that's a a strength that we should play.
0: Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation.
1: All right, so three things. Talk about a lot, raise the profile. Start with positive intent. Assume yes, assume it'll work. Start thinking positively about it rather than let's, let's try and prove that it will work. Let's assume it'll work. And thirdly, link it to diversity inclusion. It's another form of diversity, which I really like. All right, last question before we throw it open to questions. So apart from looking after the way that you're going to return to work and trying to sort flexibility out for your own life, what's next for you in terms of this course?
2: Well,
3: probably taking on my own advice, <laughs> doing those things I just mentioned. I think, you know, in winmark this is a topic that clearly resonates with, with a lot of people. So I think continuing that conversation and learning more about it. I think hearing from others in terms of what they have to offer. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, I actually contacted the person who's currently looking at after the flexible work policy in, in Rio Tinto and just finding out, okay, what's happening? And, you know, the answer was, well, we're not actually going to do much to the policy because the policy is about right. We're going to create a storybook. And I thought that's a great idea. We're going to actually talk about what's worked well and what hasn't worked well. So I think continuing to ask questions and find out what works well and then use this type of platform, you know, use the Winmark platform podcast to find out, you know, what's working well and what's not.
1: That's a nice place to wrap it up. That's the end of your grilling on the Team Guru podcast. Well done, Sally Rayner. But. Thank you. And we do want to get questions from you guys, though. But because we want them to record, we learned this lesson last time with Tim Crossley. We don't have a roving mic, so we really want you to ask a question, but just come on down to do it and speak into the mic, which I know places a barrier. We don't want there to be a barrier, but you will lose something of the question if I repeat it for you. So we want to hear it in your voice. So who's going to be the first brave person to come and ask a question? And we'll... uh, Oh, good on you, Jules.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, okay.
2: Thank you very much, Sally and David. That was just wonderful. My question is, I was sort of a little bit alarmed to hear that Rio Tinto has this fantastic policy, but the sticking point still seems to be the human element. And so what can we do to join the two up? I mean, do you think we should set up some kind of a toolkit um for women, you know, globally, I suppose? How do you ask for flexible working? You know, how do you negotiate that? So for women at all, in all areas of the business, so that they can sort of have some tips on how to ask their boss, how to set up a business case. Um, a lot of women wouldn't think to do that. It'd be just, oh, look, I want, I've got a baby now, I want some flexible leave. So, how do we combine the human element with the fantastic policy and get it working? <laughs> That's an awesome question. Unfortunately, I think it's a bit more complicated
3: than that. I wish that I could just say yes, we'll get a toolkit and we'll we'll solve it. Well, I not think that
1: that's not a bad idea to, uh, to help people uh, about how you know how you go about it. Because absolutely. not everyone would have put together a business case.
3: Definitely. And and some of the policies that I looked at from other companies actually do have toolkits. So that's something that I think, you know, we could say, yes, all, you know, organizations should have a good policy and a good toolkit. But I guess it's like anything in leadership, isn't it? Is if you if the leader doesn't have the ability to be interested in their employee. And to be interested in the cause, it's pretty hard to get there. So I think the toolkit absolutely is is something that we should do. And probably through winmark that's something where, you know, I'm going to continue sort of getting examples and, and put something together very informally. I think the other thing is, you know, whether you call it mentoring or sponsorship or working with your peers, it's using those examples so, you know, I know for instance when I was talking to my leader, I gave specific examples of other people and what they were doing that were at the same level because I think that there is still in quite a few leaders mind certain level roles or types of roles can work from home and others can't. And again, I think you need to dispel that myth. And he certainly had that view around, you know, general manager, okay, that's a different level, that's a different level of intensity, you know, you can't do that. So I think having some of those tips, whether it be a toolkit or connecting with other men and women who have successfully or unsuccessfully done that and have some of those key points to bring, because
0: I think you do need to be quite prepared for that conversation. Hi. Thanks, Sally. Oh, and you, Dave. Excellent work. I had, I guess, a comment and then a question. So I think your three points were valid. From my experience, another really important one is the communication. And I'll give you an example on the other side. One of my team members lives on a farm about an hour away. I know the commute kills him. I suggested to him, why don't you work from home a few days a week? He said, oh, okay. And then the first day he did it, he came in and he said, Jules, I have to take annual leave for yesterday. I did nothing. I was like, okay, fair enough. So I think, um, I think, you know, he was comfortable saying that to me. I think you need to have that really open communication with your boss and your direct reports so that you come up with a situation that works for everyone. Because working from home doesn't. So work not for everyone
1: feels that pressure, hey?
0: Yeah, well, not him. He has a farm and he went out fencing and, you know, before anyway. So that was I think it's a point to note. But my question is, you know, your your struggles, and that's in a company that knows you well and knows your ability and, and your dedication. I've my flexible work arrangements have always been through people that already know me, already know that I'm gonna deliver. For women or men who have had to quit their job or don't have a job or made redundant and need to look for a flexible work, that is very, very difficult. So It's a whole
1: other issue. That's a really good point. Yeah,
0: like do you have any tips for people explaining totally to people that have never met them that they can do this? That would be an even more
3: challenging circumstance and I, I think I don't know what the right answer is, Jules, but if I was in that situation, I think I would try first with the flexible work discussion because you never know what that leader's going to say because what's, I guess, the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is they're going to say no. So if you don't try, you're never going to know. Um, but then secondly, and I, I guess this is my experience but completely take on your point, it's it's different because I've been in this organisation for a while, is unfortunately the old-fashioned way, prove yourself. You know, you're going to have to prove yourself and work really hard to do that, which, you know, I don't actually agree with but Until we have that change in the organisation, and I mean, I guess the third thing I would say is if you need flexible work to begin with, whether you're, you know, primary carer or, you know, you're looking after your parents or whatever it might be, you're probably going to have to do your research and seek out companies that actually support that already. And it might even be a change of industry potentially. I don't have a silver bullet for that one. Thanks, guys. So, We've talked a lot about how to bring leaders on board and I've had flexible work arrangements before I had kids so that I eased my managers into that before I had to ask for it. You didn't do that. (laughs) Can you think of that? But I now have two direct reports and I've almost let go of my flexible work arrangements kind of naturally, but I shouldn't have, but trying to work out how do I bring the people that report to me into understanding that I have flexible work arrangement and I can't be in the office for them every day and how they can work with me on that. I think for for that one, I guess, again, that's sort of your leadership challenge, isn't it? Is you're showing them by example what you can do so you can be a leader working flexible work and it can be that situation, that example we discussed earlier where unless it happens to you, you don't get it. So it may be even as simple as breaking down, this is what my day looks like. So I think sometimes there's this myth around it you're working from home or you've you've got a child and you're pregnant so you know what is she actually doing? So I think being really transparent with your team this is actually how I work from home this is what works for me and then pointing out what are the strengths and weaknesses around that. I don't think we need to pretend everything's perfect at home. You know you will have interruptions. You know you're on a call and all all of a sudden you know, you've got a nanny, but your baby starts screaming. You think, oh, my God, I really need to be there, but I'm talking to someone really important at the moment or the dogs are barking next door or whatever. I think just being really clear that that's okay. Like you don't have to feel like you've constantly got to get it perfect. And I think the other thing is if they're not sure, what and, and even if they haven't asked it, you know, similar to what Jules said, you know, even recommend it, you know, to get rid of that myth and have them actually working from home. I mean, I don't know what type of work they're doing, but what better way to build a culture than have a team that's actually all working flexibly. I've actually given them great flexibility. One comes in at 5.30 in the morning and leaves about 2 and one works from home one day a week. So I should just Wrote march on. <laughs>
4: hey,
3: you know,
1: the, the other thing about that is, and just from a leadership perspective, if you haven't already, just flip your thinking, you're leading a virtual team. And that's a really cool thing. And that's a skill that is going to become more and more valuable. There are some concepts and principles that underpin leading a virtual team that are slightly different or just add-ons to the principles that underpin leadership in general, but it's a really cool thing. And we will more and more be talking about what it takes to lead a virtual team and you're doing it. So you're not leading a team that you're absent from a couple of days a week. You're leading a virtual team. Sometimes you're together, sometimes you're not. Sometimes someone's in at 5.30 a.m. and you're still in bed. That's a virtual team, and that's cool. There's just a skill set around that, and you can lead your team through learning that skill set. I reckon it's great. It's a really wonderful opportunity.
3: I just want to mention, sorry, just one other thing on that is you still definitely need face-to-face contact, and I know that you have that, but it is true. Nothing does replace that. You know, if, if you do have that face-to-face contact, you know, I just know the difference between Meeting with a a team member over a coffee as opposed to in the office or over the phone is just chalk and cheese because you get that personal side, you get to relate to them. But I think it's about being really clear on the principles. So it's not about we can only have an authentic conversation over a coffee, it's not about that, but being really clear around why you need to be in the office on certain days or why uh, it works well to work from home. Some people might be able to work from home every day and that's great each person is different. Some people really struggle with that face-to-face time. And so I think it's just taking them on that journey.
1: I actually really disagree. When you said it's like chalk and cheese, meeting with someone online and meeting with them in coffee, I don't, having a coffee with them, I don't think it is chalk and cheese. And, and I think that's one of the myths that we need to dispel, that you can't have a fantastic relationship with someone who you're never in the same room with. That's, I, I think that's part of the problem. And maybe- at the moment, because we're so used to spending physical time with most people that we work with, we don't do the phone or Skype relationship very well because it's instead of meeting with them and I'll, I'll, I'll be with them on Wednesday. So we'll just do this bit one dimensionally. If that's the extent of your relationship with someone, then you do Skype and you do phone differently. So to say that they're chalk and cheese, I think is one of the one of the steps that we need to take as we champion this cause.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I guess I, I am thinking of team members who are struggling to deliver something or having something happening at home. They've never told me those stories over the phone. Those stories have only ever come out face-to-face. Maybe that's coincidence. Maybe it's because I haven't provided the right environment on the phone to do that. But, yeah, I think, I think you're right. To make a step change, we have to think about what are all the different ways of, of communicating. I just wanted to continue the conversation around the use of technology. So, um, for my team personally, we had a meeting last week, and I opened it up to the floor and said, "Right, we're going to do this visual management board. We're going to use that, and I want you to be accountable with your cards and what your deliverables are and the timeframes." And you know, I showed them how I can track their activity. So, you know, it's a two-way relationship. And if I'm looking and I go, oh, "What's going on today?" I'll pick up the phone and or Skype and have a conversation. So, I just wanted to get an idea of you know, how you use that in Rio Tinto or other businesses across the resources sector. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I could probably learn a lot more from you than what you could learn from me. <laughs> um, but it, interestingly, on my you know, about to go back to work in the next couple of months, that's actually going to be my key discussion with my leader this afternoon, actually, is how can we use apps or team boards to more effectively track progress and you know, in our circumstance, you know, it's, it's a global team. It just makes sense to do that. So I'll, I'll probably talk to you after to to learn from you. But I definitely think that's that's the key. Again, it's about that transparency, isn't it? Being really clear about what your targets are, how you're performing, know where everyone is at any one time.
1: I worked in a team for a while that was kind of part remote, part virtual, part together. Sometimes we use Trello, and it's. It's great. You know. You can have it on your iPad and you can have it on a big screen where people are physically meeting. And the person who's working remotely, as they move their card from in progress to complete, you're seeing it on your screen move move there just as if you're standing at an agile wall if you've ever worked agile. It's pretty cool. And and as part of that team, I I never felt disconnected from the people who weren't in the room because we're hearing their voice over the mic or the phone or whatever it was. We're seeing their cards move on the TV or on my iPad in real time. It was a really great experience. I, I think there's a lot that we can do and, and move the conversation on from having to be in the same room with each other. I think that's so 2017. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any, oh, thank you. Fabulous. Come on down.
4: Hi, Sally. Thanks for your talk. I just wanted to ask you, so we've talked about Flexible and a lot of the examples of working one day or a couple of days a week from home. And you mentioned that you're in a global role with different time zones. So that, I assume, helped to facilitate doing early mornings or late at night or something like that around the kids. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on how we move it from, I'm working at home, but I should be available between the hours of, say, nine and five, because that's the hours that I'd be in the office. So I've got two young children just come back after having my second. And I'm going to try something a bit different this time. So I'm going to try and do four longer days in the office and just do a few hours when I've got my kids at home. Because I will have my children at home and part of that's a financial reason with the costs of daycare. So I can't really afford to get a nanny or we don't have family support. So yeah, just curious as to how you sort of take it the next, your thoughts on the next step further to be, well, maybe I'm working different hours and it's not that I'm always going to be on the other end of the phone or email between nine and five.
3: It's a great question and I know that's been talked about by a lot of different people. I think that the first thing, and, and sort of a, similar to you, I mean, a bit different, but similar in that I would have times where I'd say, okay, well, I'm going to work between you know 5 a.m. and 2 p.m. today, and then you know tomorrow's between 12 p.m. and 10 p.m., whatever it might be. I think that the key thing there is setting myself boundaries as much as the team. So you provide that transparency to the team, but actually say, you know what, I'm not going to be responding to your email at... 10 p.m. tonight because I've already worked all morning. Now, that's really easy to say and incredibly hard to do. You know, particularly when there still is and I know not for me so much anymore. I don't know how it is for you, but when I first started working flexibly, I was treating it as a privilege, and I think that's the first thing that I needed to change. I needed to change mindset. It's not a privilege. I'm working really hard, and I'm doing a really good job, and then it needs to work both ways. We can't have a situation where you're working all these hours and then you still feel as if I've got to be on call or you know, I'm working a few hours on a Friday when I probably don't, I shouldn't really, but I want to make sure I'm doing the best possible job. And Sometimes you just need to be up front and say, you know what? Don't contact me on Fridays. Friday might be your day when you catch up on emails. That might be your three hours, but you're really clear. Don't contact me then because I'm not actually going to be doing any FaceTime or Skyping or whatever it might be on those days. So I think setting those boundaries for your team, but for yourself, I think is is just as important. Yeah,
1: you know, I, I really like that piece of advice. And and I would even take it down to the granular level about the way you conduct yourself with confidence. Like these are my hours and and I'm it's not a privilege. I work really hard during these this time. I produce a lot of great stuff. This is the time I work. And we know that if people are feeling anxious about new things, they might exaggerate concerns. So if, if there's any exaggeration of when you're not available for meetings and whatnot, just do the maths. What is the percentage of overlap time with your colleagues? It's probably 85%. You know, when, when you're working long days and, just, and, and having a few hours on that fifth day. So if you get any of that stuff back, just be prepared like a, a business case type mentality with the numbers. And all the time, Just conduct yourself with the confidence that you deserve if you're working really hard and producing good results because it doesn't matter where you do that.
0: Sorry, I'm just going to hog the microphone again and um, provide comments. So that's my exact situation. I work 40 hours, four days in the office, and my fifth day is across the seven days. So some hours on weekends, some hours at nights, whatever. And my husband does the same. And both of us run it. I have an out of office on my day off. so that Well, my day not in the office, I should say. So people don't tend to choose meetings on that day and they know that, you know, sleep times, I'll always get on the phone. But what I do do is I have my emails on my phone and I'm always checking them if there's anything urgent, they know they can call me. I think it's that if your team, your leaders, you know, your direct reports know that you're available, if you are needed urgently, then you are there. It gives everyone a level of comfortableness, if that that's not the right, right word, but everyone... Comfort is probably the right word. I'm not an English teacher. So, yeah, you know, I think it's just making sure people feel like you are there and available and responsive, but also you're out of office. Don't set a meeting on that day because I'm not going to, you know, it's only for things that are urgent. And then, yeah, you add up, I was getting paid four fifths and after a few months realized I was working 40 hours. So now I get paid 40 hours for that reason.
1: Folks, last, very, very last question. Come on down. You're the winner.
0: Thank you both. I wanted to ask a question about how you feel or if it's been the case for you where flexible working arrangements has impacted your career progression.
3: Great question. I don't know yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have an interview this afternoon. We'll find out. Look, I, my, well, obviously I only know what I know, but I don't believe so. There are a lot of those, and this is an indication of, of team culture. There's sort of some of those off the cuff comments that are made around, oh, how come Sally gets to work flexibly? You know? Is that because she's a general manager? Or, you know, what does that look like for her? And I think that's actually irrelevant. My career progression, no, because I'm actually happy where I am at the moment. I'm not pursuing anything more senior at this this point because I'm satisfied and I have a lot going on with the family. So I you know, to date, no. I'm not aware of others who have been impacted, but again, if if you do have that culture or those indicators where leaders don't embrace it, I would say it's absolutely a possibility. You know, and I'm thinking about a situation where if I was five years ago to have said in the interview, which would have been crazy in hindsight, oh, okay. So, and, and would you entertain, you know, me being on flexible working arrangements? You know, who knows what that could have done? So, I'm not sure. It hasn't impacted me personally. I'm not sure if if others have had that experience. But again, I think until we get to that point of trust first, it's quite likely that that could have happened to some people.
4: Just on the point of you resisting asking about flexible work in the interview stage, I work in HR. It's commonly asked at the interview stage now. So I think it's come a long way since your experience there. I'm not sure if it filters through all the time into a successful outcome, but it certainly is being asked. That is
3: good to
1: know, folks. We're going to have to wrap it up there. We've used more than our fair share of time. Thank you so much for being a wonderful audience and asking such wonderful questions. And thank you very much, Sally Rain. It was a pleasure doing this with you.
3: Thank you. I had fun.
1: And that was Sally Rayner. She's pretty passionate about this topic, and I really admired her honesty about her own failings as a leader early in her career. When her life fitted nicely around the Monday to Friday 9 to 5 expectations, workplace flexibility wasn't on her agenda. And she acknowledges now that she let down a lot of people that she led. But I have to say, all bias aside, that the way Sally is approaching and championing this topic is with passion, enthusiasm and intelligence. She was clear about what the topic needs now. It needs us to all be involved in the conversation to raise its status as an issue to that of the issue of diversity and inclusion and safety. We must talk about the success and the failure of flexible arrangements and learn lessons from them that will help us promote and further the cause. I'd like to thank Wimmark for hosting another wonderful event. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Sally on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it, along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts, on our website. That's teamswithans.guru slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.